If you have a Bible with you this morning, you might like to turn to the letter to the Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It feels like a novelty for me this morning to be speaking. I suppose it's the first time in about five or six weeks. I think some people thought he's having a holiday. He's retired. He's going away. And uh, we have so much... I re- we really do rejoice in our life of our church. We've, I mean, Mike Swinburne last week, fantastic. Great giftings within the life of our church. Um, and it's just so good to see so much uh, gift and ability and talent and God's calling being released in our church across the board, whether it's publicly standing here, but also, uh, I think, of tending the gardens, looking after things, a coffee house serving, you name it, solely outreach. There's so much welcome. There's so much in our church. So thankful for that. But uh, yeah, as you've got yours truly this morning, I'm taking the theme in Ephesians and uh, coming back to that when I speak from time to time. I say, when I used to say from time to time, it was me all the time. Now it is truly from time to time. But um, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and um, verse 22. Reads like this from the NIV Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her. By the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. <laughs> Annette's pointing to her glasses because I pause quite a lot now. And sometimes it's because maybe I need to, to look at that. But but holy and blameless. In This same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound Mystery, and I am ta- and I am talking about Christ and the Church. However, each one of you um, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we're looking at a series. I said when I speak from time to time of God's new society, and it's based on the letter to the Ephesians, this, this letter that we're looking at together. And the society is the church. The church is God's new society. It's not an alternative. It is God's answer to life. Uh, it's not just something for Sunday morning, not something that we go into closed doors and bolt the doors and then hold the fort for the Lord might be coming or will be coming one day. But church is about life, a new way of life, a new society. God's people called out and gathered together. People, life, and we've been looking at this and are looking at this together and have been over a number of months. And so uh, just as a very, very, just a couple of minutes just to recap and set it in context because it's been a little while since we came back to this theme and you might be in the distant murky past of about five or six weeks ago. So um, we looked in in this um, six... Chapters. The letter is divided into six chapters, and the first three, chapters one to three, we've spent a lot of time. The, the key verse there is about being seated in Christ. Can you remember that? It's a long time ago, but I spent a long time about what does it mean to be in Christ, to be seated. And we looked at our identity and uh, who we are, and that we are adopted in Christ, that we're seated in Christ, in the heavenly realms, that we have all the riches of heaven at our disposal and for us. We have an inheritance, freedom, forgiveness. And we spent quite a lot of time, the first three, four, five weeks, four weeks, looking at this inheritance, and then who we are, our identity. Remember, we looked at this idea of um, discovering who we were. We're new creations, new people in Christ, uh, I, I made the comment that I meet lots of people that 
look good, sound good, and are very accomplished, but they don't think they're very good and don't act good. And it's because of what they think and who they are. But, and so who you are, who you think you are, is so important. So we spent a long time looking at identity, who we are, and discovering and rediscovering that in Christ we're new, we're amazing, loved, adopted. You are amazing, loved by God so much, precious, treasured, and treasured so much that he gives everything, all of his inheritance. This is what it means to be in family, in God. And we looked at that in great detail. So that's what chapters 1 to 3 talk about, inheritance in Christ. Then there's a change, there's a shift. As we move now in chapters 4, 5, and 6, it moves from in the heavenlies and our inheritance and looking at our identity to looking at how that's then practiced on earth. Remember, position in the heavenlies. Now we look at practice. And Paul now shares um, this idea of how we practice life. This, This inheritance, our identity, this new life, this new person that we are and who we are and that we become in Jesus then is to be practiced out on earth. And now it it turns from being seated to walking. The NIV translates that, live a life worthy of your calling. The NIV translates live from the uh, King James Version, which says walk in a way worthy of your calling. So we go from being seated now to walking, to an identity in heaven with all the benefits, treasures, power, authority, gifts, and all the resources that we can live this life. Now, you need to know identity. We need to know our riches and resources so that we can now live because there is a challenge. It's where the tyre hits the road. Was it in Formula One racing? Uh, one, was it Mercedes racing, uh, been testing their tyres with Pirelli, the tyre the tire, uh, uh, firm, and they've got into trouble. It's where the rubber hits the road, testing the type of, the, the type of rubber. And, and, and in life, we're now called to practice, to, to live out our lives. It's not an, a, a, a fluffy white cloud where you wait till you get your wings and then you, you, we, we just float around in heaven. But we, t- we can live an amazing life on earth. But it, it needs the riches and resources and identifi- identifying our identity in the resources of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul shares at great measure. And we've looked at this at great length and um, in great measure. And if you can remember our walk it, we, we looked at this idea of um, two things, sacrifice, live in the power of Christ and his sacrifice. And then a, a few weeks after that, we looked at this theme of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. How are we going to live this life? How are we going to appropriate these riches? How are we going to lay hold of the riches of heaven that are ours through the life of Christ in our lives? And it talks about sacrifice. And then we looked at being filled by the Spirit, continually influenced. Can you remember? We talked about this at great measure and responding with our lives of being filled. Now, remember that, what I'm about to share. Remember that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit because there's a tall order. We are called to live the life of Christ, to walk the way that Jesus walked. Can't say I didn't know that. Well, not after the next few weeks anyway. Okay, so to live in the power of the Holy Spirit then, to be filled with the Spirit, enables us then to live the life full of the Spirit. And uh, we've been looking at this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul moves in Ephesians 5, verses 22. He looks at a Spirit-filled home life, marriage, husband and wife. He looks at parents and children a bit later on, and then slaves and masters, work. And so the the life, this life, this new life that we live, it it incorporates our home life, our personal life, our relationships to live this life. And so today we're going to look at the area of marriage all in about 30 minutes. uh, But it's not a definitive statement on marriage, but there's going to be just something that we're going to look at. We're going to just apply the text that's before us and... uh, One of the challenging things is that when you do, one of the good things about speaking through a book is that you touch everything, everything. The whole of God's word is touched. One of the challenging things about speaking at the whole of God's word, you can't duck a thing. You face everything. And so this morning we're going to face everything and look at what Jesus uh, would teach and what Paul is teaching in opening up the uh, life of Christ before us, and we're going to look at this together. A little 
boy, some children were asked uh, some questions. Uh, what makes a marriage? How do you make marriage last? And a little boy called Ricky, who's seven, so this was asked of just a, a group of children, and Ricky, who's seven, was asked, how do you make marriage? How do you think you make marriage last, Ricky? And Ricky said this. He said this. This is the pearl of wisdom that Ricky said. This is true. He says, tell your wife she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose in Ricky's life, trucks were big de- a big deal. So this morning, you look great. Everybody, you look amazing. <laughs> I don't look at my wife and say, you look wonderful. Because <laughs> you look daggers back at me. No, she would never. She never looks daggers at me. <laughs> Oh, no, she doesn't. Oh, yes, she does. (laughs) She's doing it right now. (laughs) I've got nothing to teach on this subject at all now. Let's have a look at this together. And um, spirit-filled marriage then. There's a challenge today, and I face a challenge this morning, and you and I face a challenge right now as we look at some of these words before us as they jump out of the page and grip us and shout out to you and me. Perhaps they might shout out to you, No! I can't believe what I've just read. For some of it, it might be, Oh, absolutely, this is what we should be doing. I don't know, but there's a challenge for us this morning. In the age in which we now live, we live in an age of um, tremendous equality. That's a good thing. There is a good thing. There's a good thing about the idea of equality, but equality is to the fore. A gender identity, uh, to the desire that we live in a, a world that's what we would call a permissive society. Permissive society means that there is a complete sense of freedom. You are permitted. It's getting a bit fuzzy around the edges of what is right and what is wrong. And who are you to tell me what is right and wrong? And far be it from me to say what is right and wrong. But I think God has a say. God has the say on what is right and what is wrong, what is good. Maybe not me, not you. But we don't live in an age that likes that anymore. So we have to filter this morning uh, some of what is said into this environment. Uh, Political correctness. Today, you would not say husband or wife. It would be you tick partner. You might say there's nothing wrong with ticking that, perhaps. But it just prepares the way for everything to be very fuzzy around the edges. It's preparing that sort of dimension. So even with relationships and life, it's all getting pretty fuzzy. Even amongst Christians, we're not sure what we believe anymore. Even amongst evangelical, that means evangelicals, people that believe the Bible completely, charismatic Christians, people that believe in the things of the Spirit and the miraculous power of the Spirit, things are getting fuzzy. People are now saying things about the Bible that they never used to. They don't believe certain things. Not in the liberal church, in evangelical and charismatic churches. So, because things are getting fuzzy around the edges. By that, I mean blurred. If you think, what's he saying, fuzzy? I mean blurred around the edges. We live in a world of consumer rights. It's my rights, my freedom, my privilege. There's a freedom there. So, by... All means, equality. There is equality. And we're going to look that the Bible and Christianity teaches tremendous equality. But it's clear. It's not fuzzy. It's not blurred around the edge. And so we're speaking, remember, of a new society. A God-empowered, spirit-empowered society. Not an alternative, but something that is god Ordained, something that's God-inspired, that he wants us to live. And that will bring us into a clash of kingdoms. That will bring us into standing at times, not on my soapbox and telling people off, but standing and saying, I really believe the Bible says this. I can do no other thing than believe this and stand upon this and go with this. And that might make people say, oh, you're intransigent, that is wrong. But I think if you do that with great love and great humility and great mercy is what we're going to look at, then we'll be able to stand upon the Word of God. And I believe in the Word of God. This thing called the Bible, this book, 
is the word of God. I believe that if we believe this and hold to this, we'll not go wrong. And I would say to you, we're living in a challenging time. I looked at a sermon that I wrote on this subject 20 years ago. You might think, 20 years ago, that's a long time. It is quite a long time. And I looked at what I said, and I thought, I couldn't say that today. You can't say that. Even in Christian circles, what we now find acceptable and treading on people's toes. So, there's a challenge. But you know, God's up for the challenge. The Holy Spirit is great. God is good. His word is for all time. God wants the best for our lives, the best for your life, the best for this world, the best for marriage, the best for single parents, the best for children, the best in our relationships. It's something that's forever, was always conceived in his heart. And if we live according to his word, the Bible I'm saying, we can never go wrong. But as a challenge, and the challenge is this, be filled with the Spirit. Be fully influenced, empowered by the Spirit. And we are going to need this again and again. Again and again. So, let's look at this together for the next few moments. So we read, wives, submit, husbands, the head. And we find, you could say, some of you might find that, um, some of us may find that alarming uh, and anathema to you. I don't know. But let's look at what they mean and these phrases mean and what is God saying and how do they come across in the spirit that they're meant to be said in and by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is God's new society and we need the Holy Spirit to help us. I need the Holy Spirit. You need the person of the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand and to live and practice. Boy, do we need that more and more? I only read an article published on the internet from the United States, and it was saying how lots of pastors, this article, evangelical, charismatic, great article, was bemoaning the fact that now many church leaders, pastors, men and women, were not standing and speaking what the Bible says because they were worried about who they might upset. And there are now so many things that you could upset people on that they're not speaking on much of anything. And there is such a danger, isn't there? But we want the Holy Spirit to inspire us and lead us. Let's look at the background to this, um, these few, uh, this little passage that we're going to look at just for a moment or two. And before we just deal with those verses. And you'll need to have your Bible near you, whether you've got it in written book paper form or you've got it electronically. Because we're going to actually look at the verses, look at the phrases and come back. And uh, we're going to look at them together and see how that fits into the whole form of of this. So that's where we're going to go. So it's a challenge that we face, but we're going to do these things in the power of the Spirit. Um, Galatians chapter 3. I want to just give a bit of background to the teaching of Paul. Because some people misunderstand what we're about to read in a few moments from Ephesians. And say that Paul, the man who wrote this letter, was anti-female and was a chauvinist. And he went too far and was taking the culture of the day. But if we just come back a moment or two, look at the background. And this is some of the teaching that Paul shares. We see this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. I'll give you time if you want to turn to it. Um, But this is how it reads. Paul wrote these words. He said this. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for, all, for you are all one in Christ. There is equality. Equality commission. The equality commission of today set up to bring equality. Should, you know, God's heart, God's spirit is for man and woman, young and old, black and white, no matter what ethnicity you are, how learned or how little you might think that you know, from whatever country or background, we are one and equal and of equal value and worth. We are of equality. And this is Paul's heart and teaching. This was radical in the age that this came into. Um, In the ancient world, a a woman, a female, was not 
always treated with a tremendous sense of equality. We'll look at that a bit later. This was radical. Christianity burst into the Roman and the Greek world and the Jewish world like a nuclear explosion. It was cataclysmic. It was amazing. It was a revelation. It brought emancipation, freedom. That's what the grace of God, that's what the love of God is all about. It brings freedom to all and everyone who believes and trusts in the Son, God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's incredible. And this is, but I labor this point because what we're about to look at, you must then bring, this is our foundation, our anchor point in Paul's heart and teaching is equality. And, uh, okay, so... This will be the backdrop to what we're about to look at, and we'll come back to again and again. So there is this sense of equality, male and female. Um, In verse 21 of of Ephesians chapter 5, we read this. It's an interesting little verse. I didn't read it. uh, I should have probably perhaps set the context. But verse 21 of this open letter, uh, just to add to this sense of equality, there is this. Paul says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. Come back to verse 21 again. Submit to what? Same word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is equality. And the second principle of life, this is the first principle of life is this. There is this tremendous sense of equality. The second principle of life for life and relationships is this, that there is also a sense of Complete mutual submission. Submission for all. Not just for women submitting. Paul says submit to your husband, actually, in the marriage relationship there. But this idea of submission is mutual and for everyone. Me to you, you to me. It's the Chuckle Brothers, isn't it? Me to you, you to me. You ever seen the Chuckle Brothers? Anyone ever seen? Ben has, that's all right. Me and Ben are okay because we've... But it's to me, to you. But uh, submission is me, to you. It's give and take. I know we laugh, but the Chuckle Brothers are, you know, moving some furniture. and They don't do anything, move anywhere. But there is a sense of give and take. That's what I'm getting at in life. And this is for all of us, everyone, not just one person. And it's mutual. It's life. It's for all. Now, that's very important, too. So, first of all, we see that there is this idea of complete equality for every... That's amazing news for all of us. And then what makes the world go round is mutual submission. What an amazing place if we all gave towards each other. The word submit um, literally means this. It means to forego your rights in the promotion of others, to promote others, to submit to submit to. If I was to submit to you and you to me and me to you, you would forgo your rights to promote me and I would forgo my rights to promote you. It's not one-way traffic. One-way traffic would mean I'll be a doormat. Although Jesus was incredibly, amazingly, he says he took the sin of the world. He became, dare I say the word, and I don't say this irreverently, but he became my doormat. That's grace. It's incredible. That's why we are so loved. And all he asks us to do is to give towards one another. And to submit means to forgo my rights. I like that. I want this. And prefer the other, you, me. It means to yield to, to prefer, to defer to. Deference, it's a funny old word. It's a bit of an old-fashioned word. We don't have that word so much today. Deference, paying deference to somebody. But to defer is to give. It's to give towards, it's to give to you, to give way to you. And so we're called to all are equal, male and female. No one's better. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. A man's not better than a woman. A woman's not better than a man. We're all equal. We're all of equal value, worth, abilities in the kingdom and the heart and sight of God. And we are to give and yield towards each other. Now that is vitally important with what we're about to now turn to. Because this is where the tyre is now going to hit the road. Are you okay? Okay, so are you okay? You're with me up to that point. So you're not a doormat. It's not one-way traffic. We're all called to this and it's towards each other. And so this is vitally important 
when we now look at particular, now Paul comes down and takes this understanding of equality and submission of life and he brings it and focuses it now, brings it in to the area of marriage and then he brings it a bit later on to the area of parents and children and then he brings it a bit later on after that in this letter to the area of uh, slaves and masters but we could, we'll look at a modern life, we'll look at work when we come to look at this. And so Paul brings this to particular circumstances, this general theme. But we can see that there's a general theme there, and it sort of sets us up. So, okay, let's move on a bit further then. So if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to verses 22 uh, to 25, we'll just look at this just for a moment or two. And then we're going to come and pray together. So what I've just shared, uh, it's radical teaching in the day and the culture Um, this idea of equality and mutual submission, you did not have that in Roman and Greek culture necessarily and in the Judaistic culture. I don't want to paint a bad picture. There were good things in those cultures. But in the era of that day, um, the father figure in the home was almost godlike and was he who had to be obeyed in Roman culture at the time. Patriarchal, paternalistic. And so the father figure would have been in Roman culture really powerful and almost godlike. And so when Paul comes and says we're all equal, and Christianity shows that we are all equal, and Jesus teaches us that we're all made equal, and that there's all mutual submission, this turned the world upside down. It's quite spectacular, it's quite amazing. And yet there is a sense of order in life. And Paul shares this. And he looks at this in the marriage relationship. And so what Paul um, is teaching on now as we look at these few verses together is really responsibilities in our relationship. Roles and responsibility within relationship. And in this particular area, the relationship of marriage. So he says there, wives, submit to your husband as in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so he says, wives, submit to your husband. And then he goes on to say, for the husband is the head of the wife. At a casual reading of that, you think, some of you might be rubbing your hands with glee there right now, thinking, oh, this is great, Lord of the manor. I can do what I like. It doesn't mean that at all. As we look, bearing in mind what I've just shared, let's look at what the words actually mean uh, just for a moment or two. We would have a shock if we think that because it doesn't mean that. Although there does have a sense of responsibility and a sense of role and order in life. It's not that we're all equal and anything goes. We are all equal and there's roles and responsibility in our lives. It's just that I can cross the road wherever I like. Derby Road. At the moment, it's quiet, but you come out here during any other time of the week, and it's just non-stop traffic. So there's points along the road called lights and uh, a zebra crossing, and uh, you know there's order to life. And so there's the lights or the zebra crossings in our lives, and there's a sense of order in our lives. And so this is what Paul looks at in the area of husband and wife uh, relationship in marriage. So let's look at that. So sub, to submit there, we've just looked at this. It's this idea of deferring, yielding to, to promote another. And Paul uses this for us all. And now Paul is now bringing this into the marriage relationship and saying, uh, wives, defer to, yield to, um, to promote the other. And then he, he uses, he says this. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife. The word head there literally means authority or source. But not in the sense of being authoritarian. It's a responsibility, not a rule. The word head has just so he says just as Christ is the head of the church. Do you see this? It's interesting. So he says the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. He looks at Christ's relationship with church and Jesus being the head of the church and and the husband's relationship with his wife. And when you look at Jesus being the head of the church, what did Jesus do for the church? Well, he laid his life down for the church, for you and me. 
What does Jesus do for his disciples? He got down on his knees and washed their feet. We've looked at this in the past. He served. He served. He actually said, the ruler becomes the servant. And so we see that in the heart of Jesus, his responsibility, his leadership, his authority is one that is not like the Lord of the manor, but is a tremendous sense of love and service and heart. And so it's in that context that Paul uses this idea of head, not as in, I'm the boss. I think, is it one of the Disney films? I think it's a Disney film, uh, I forget now, but one of the, I think it's one of the, the um, I forget which one it is now, but they sorry? Fox and Hound. That's it, Helen. My Helen knows life by Disney films. Fox and Hound. Fox and Hound. One of the hounds says, I'm, I can't do it. In the, I'm the leader. It's a, it's a, a, blood, it's a bloodhound from the southern, count, southern America, right? And he goes, I'm the leader. I'm the leader. And there's this hound that's always the leader. He's always charging off being the leader. But he's not really the leader. He just wants to be a leader and just tell everybody what to do. And... Um, it's not like that. When it says head, it doesn't mean to say, I'm the leader, and you just charge off as a husband and tell everybody what to do. Christ serves the church, loves the church, gave his life for the church, and is responsible for the church. Jesus is responsible for us. And it's that that means head. Head is the responsibility. So the responsibility, the You could say final responsibility. Responsibility for the family is husband and wife. We'll look at this together. But there is a sense of the final sense of God will come looking. He looks at husband. He will look to you. He will look to me. And it's in that responsibility. I love to use the term responsibility, not rule. Somebody that sits there and says, do as I say. That's somebody ruling, being like a dictator. It's not that. It doesn't mean that. Because Jesus didn't give us that example. And it's in that context there that submission is linked to this idea of responsibility. Now, so we've looked at this idea of mutual submission of life and the way we do that to one another. And we'll see what this submission and this headship is linked to because we're not detracting what the husband is called to do in a moment or two. But it's in that responsibility. So the husband is given a sense of responsibility, a sense of final sense of responsibility. Just as Jesus is responsible for the church, then husband is responsible for his family. That's what it's basically saying, finally. And yet, wife and husband together are co-workers, completely equal. It's just a sense of responsibility. And I say this because in Genesis chapter 2, if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 onwards. We... See that God says to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I will make a helper for you. This is a creation principle. This is of co-equality. Okay? So I'm balancing out what I'm saying is now that husband and wife are equal. And yet there is a sense of responsibility. Boy, is there a responsibility. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 onwards we see that God makes the, the world and he has Adam in the garden. Says, and, but then says to Adam, hang on. Well, he didn't say hang on, but he says, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a helper. And they looked at all the animals and they couldn't find a helper. And so you'll see in Genesis 8, uh, 2.18 onwards, it says that God caused Adam to sleep and from a rib in his side made woman to be his help mate or helper and so there's this understanding it's in Genesis 2 there you'll see it in verses 18 onwards so the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for you so God made a woman from Adam's rib from his side so that she could stand at his side side by side there's no underdog here it's side by side and so it says a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife Okay, don't say his partner, says to his wife there. And so there's this understanding of equality and co-equality. And yet, within that relationship, 
there is a sense of final responsibility. And God gives it to the husband there. And so the wife can release a husband into that responsibility through a loving sense of deferring and giving too. And yet, they would make that decision together, (laughs) he says. They would make that decision together. So it might go something like this. If you say, well, whoopee-doo, it's all very well you spouting off and just showing what the Bible says. But how could that work out? It could work out something like this. Um, A true man won't just go off and make a decision and I'm going to do this, but will actually come back and would say, and sit down, and husband and wife would sit and talk together, what should we do about this? And they would talk about X, Y, and Z and come to a conclusion. And there would be an idea that husband and wife would equally have a say on what goes on. In the kingdom of God, there then comes a point, then what are we going to do? What are we then finally going to do? And that sense of responsibility of finally saying, okay, now we've agreed on what we're going to do. Paul would say that would be with the husband in the family relationship. If you are single, you find yourself as a single parent, then you are making that responsibility yourself. I'm dealing at the moment with husband and wife. Don't you worry. Next time we speak together, we'll be looking at parents and children. And I understand we'll look at the whole area of what it's like to be as a single parent. We're going to try and look at that and pray about that. So we're not forgetting anyone that finds himself to be a single parent right now. I'm not looking to duck the issue. We will begin, next time we meet together and I share on the subject, we'll be praying and praying for people that find themselves as uh, married couples, parents, and single parents. We'll we'll look at that and uh, look to pray over that in the morning and bring support to that. But this morning, I just want to just deal with what we've got in front of us just for the time being, not to duck any other issue. Okay, so let's move on quickly. Not wanting... So... When we look at that, Jesus is um, the head of the church. So he says, Paul says that uh, the husband is head of the wife. Jesus is the head of the church, but doesn't rule the church, doesn't dominate the church, doesn't act like a dictator with the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus lays down his life for the church. Jesus washes the church's feet, but is ultimately responsible for the church. The Father says, your church. And uh, that's what we're getting at when we look at this idea of what is to be head of your responsible for your house responsible that's what it means to be head but then then we come on to husband and then paul says far more to the husband than he does the wife the responsibility is even greater and so we turn now to this next part it says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for it and for her submission and headship is linked and counterbalanced by the husband called to love as Christ loved. What I've just said is balanced and linked and linked together with what I'm about to now say. And it's based on what Paul would say to husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This isn't a seesaw that's out of balance. Perfect balance is brought into our relationship with what we're now about to look at. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. In the original language, there are a number of words for love. Mike touched upon it last week when he used this word love, agape love. You know, there's a, a Greek word called areo love, which is intimate love. It describes intimacy between man and woman in the marriage relationship. It's where we get our word eros, the word uh, sexual love, an intimate love. There's areo love in the Greek language. There's another word in the Greek language for love. It's phileo love. And phileo love is affection, bonds of love, friendship, love, closer than a brother, best friend, um, you know, my closest, bestest, most wonderfulest friend I've ever got. Phileo love. Areo love, phileo love. Now the love, and there's another love. Another word for love in, in, in the New Testament is agapeo love. Agapeo love is pure, selfless love. Okay? Mike touched upon that last week brilliantly. And guess what? Guess what? The word for love that we find here is referring to agapeo. Husband, agapeo, your wife. In other words, um, selflessly love. Purely love, to be absolutely selfless, 
to promote the worth, the value, and the life of the person that you love and are married to. Can you see how it's now counterbalanced? The whole balance. In other words, you selflessly will promote the other more than yourself. It's mutual submission coming back the other way. It's just mutual submission coming back the other way. It's authority under God's authority. It says, but he doesn't just say love that way. He says, love as Christ loved. Well, we know that Jesus loved the church and you and me, and he loves us selflessly. Not selfish at all. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about Jesus. It's about the love he has for us. And so this is a selfless love. Jesus loves sacrificially. It says he gave his life for you and me. He got down and washed disciples' feet in those days. You did not do that. It was absolute anathema. So that's sacrificially giving his life. And service. Jesus served. It's a servant love. It's to the point where you get down and wash the feet of another. He acted out a sense. So it's selfless, sacrificial, it's servant heart. And so this love that we're called to love needs we need to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Can't do it any other way. In the ancient world, agapeo love was considered the love of the gods, a God love, because it was such a tall order. It was divine love. It's interesting that Christianity took a word, a pagan in the, from the language of the day, the Greek culture, and took that highest form of love that was known at that era, that time, and tried to bring that towards the, to describe, and only partly describes the love that God has for you and me, and the love that he wants us to share with the world and a husband towards his wife. It's Holy Spirit-filled headship responsibility. It's Holy Spirit-inspired headship and responsibility. This is radical in the teaching of the day. You know, for a Jew, a Jewish man would pray a prayer. I'm glad I wasn't born a Gentile or a woman. It was a a prayer of the day. Such was the view of women in the course of that day. In the Greek world, it's well known that in Greek writing at the time and in that era in the ancient Greek world, that a man who would be married... The wife would be for the family, the home, to give legitimacy to the children, to lead a good home. But a husband would take a mistress and could go with prostitutes to the temple worship. So that was for love. That was for gratification and for life. And the wife was for home. It was a common practice of the day. It had got to that stage of life in the then known world. In the Roman culture of that day, divorce was so rampant that one woman, a high-ranking Roman senator's wife, could tell the year that it was by the number of husbands that she'd had. It's in ancient Roman writings. She'd had 21 husbands by the time. Could tell you each one and the year that it was. Not by, you know, a, a great event in history, but by the amount of husbands. At that time in the Roman Empire, by the time of Jesus, things had become so... Um, Rotten from the inside, and the value of life and marriage and, and, and uh, attitudes to um, women was such that when Christianity came and brought this ideal of equality, of mutual submission, of yielding towards each other, of selfless love, of dying to yourself to give your whole life so that the benefit of the other was up to the utmost. In Roman world and society, the father was considered a god in his home. He could do what he liked. He had the power of life and death almost. He was a patriarchal member of the family, ruled. And yet Paul says, come, love, submit, yield, honor. This was radical teaching in the day. It turned the world upside down. It emancipated the world. It brought marriage to the highest pinnacle. It brought it to the fore. And God calls us today to likewise be filled with the Spirit. Doesn't it take on a new sense of desire and meaning? Not only to be filled with the Spirit so that we can prophesy, we can speak in tongues, but to be filled with the Spirit, influenced fully so that I can live the life that Jesus calls us to live. It will take 
a man and woman of great courage to live the life of Christ. It would take a man and woman of great desire to say, I want to go for God. It would take a man and woman to live this way. It would take great determination, a real desire to be empowered, to be filled. It would take a man and woman to be full of the Spirit to live this way. But this is God's new society. He brings relationship to the fore. Now, what we present this morning is not a definitive answer to life and marriage. It's just dealing with the text that's before us. It's part of the picture. But if it said that marriage is made in heaven, you heard that statement, marriage is made in heaven, but marriage is worked out on earth, living God's way in the power of the Holy Spirit. Living God's way in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just open our hearts to you this morning. And... We just want to live your way. We want to live for you, Jesus. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes because I'm frail. I'm human. I'm made of clay. But we have a desire to live for your glory. We thank you that you've sent the person of the Holy Spirit to live within us. We're sealed by the, through the Spirit. That you have great love and mercy There's the power of the Spirit. There's the gift of grace by the Spirit. That if I mess up, you're there to pick me up and love us more, more and more and more. Oh, how good is that? That's just so good. Thank you that there is equality. Thank you that there is mercy. You know, this morning, Lord, we just bring our lives and our hearts to you. And we just say, would you, Holy Spirit, just touch our hearts and minds, our relationships, our marriages, our homes, touch husband and wife, touch each one of us right now. Father God, would you just come, Spirit of the living God, and just begin to flow through our lives and hearts, we pray. We come from different backgrounds. We have different ideas, different experiences. Right now, there are different... Different pressures, perhaps, going on in all of our lives. There are different pulls. There are different things going on. There's the work. There's commitments. We just bring our lives to you afresh, Lord Jesus. I'm really conscious myself that, you know, this isn't ideal. I'm really conscious that these are things that I fall foul in my own life from time to time. I'm really conscious you know, that for some of us this morning, there'll be people saying, what about my husband's not a Christian? What about my wife's not a Christian? What about me? I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm going through a terrible divorce. All I can say is that the Holy Spirit is here, and Jesus is here, and he loves you. He loves me. And he can apply this ideal to any circumstance and any situation by his grace and by his love and by his mercy. He can apply these things. And so to our hearts right now, I just want us just to open up your heart, will you, right now? I just want to pray. I just feel very conscious of hurting people. And maybe what I've shared this morning has made you hurt all the more. (laughs) That's a nervous laugh, by the way. Because I'm just conscious that there are hurting people. I'm conscious that there'll be people this morning that might be feeling right now, it's all very well saying that, but how's that going to work out for me? I'm just co-conscious. I'm conscious of people saying things like, ah, oh, but you don't know what's going on in my home. You don't, I'm conscious. All I can say is that the Lord Jesus is full of grace and goodness and that God is good and that he has sent the person of the Holy Spirit to help us. This is why Paul had to say again and again, be filled, fully influenced. And so in our relationships, in our homes, in our lives, where things haven't quite worked out, perhaps, let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. Can we do that this morning? Come and fill us. Come and fully influence us in that area. Don't beat yourself up on what you don't do, what you've got to do, what you should do. Don't do any of that right now. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, come and fill our relationship. Come and fill our lives, my life. Should we just do that right now? I'm going to ask you, if you can stand with me, please stand just for a moment. Let's just pray, shall we, right now, and just say, Holy Spirit, just come and fill. Just come and fill my circumstance. Just pray that, shall we, right now? Come and flood my circumstance. You know what your circumstance is. I might not know everything right now, 
But if it's a circumstance where you need household salvation, if it's a circumstance where you don't fully understand some of the teaching, if it's a circumstance where you feel that there's hurting going on, if it's a circumstance that there's painful, circum- painful things being said and done, if you feel that you've fouled up, you've made a mistake, let's just pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill. Just come and fill. The Spirit of God will come and fill and do something in that circumstance. Should we just do that right now? Just want us to, I just encourage you to open your hands like I'm doing right now. Lift them out or up to heaven if you can. And if you're a bit self-conscious of that, maybe just open. It's a way of saying, I, I'm, I, want, I, I need you, God. It's an identification. It's a simple thing. And as we do that, let's just pray together at the same time so that no one feels embarrassed. Come and fill us. Come and fill me, Holy Spirit. Come and fill my marriage. Come and fill my life. Come and fill me as a parent. Come and, come and fill me as a single person. Come and fill me right now. Let's just do that. Should we pray that together so that there was, let's just break the sound barrier. I just encourage you. Come and fill us now, Lord. Would you come and fill us, Lord? Fill our marriages, fill our homes, fill our relationships with our children, relationships with husband and wife. Come and fill, Lord Jesus, any circumstance where husbands are not Christians, where a wife isn't a Christian perhaps, and maybe there's a difference of ideal, a difference of opinion on the way life should go. If there's circumstances like that, if there's, if there's breakup, if there's divorce, Father God, we just pray, come and fill us, Lord. Where there's upset, where there's crying, where there's tears, Father, come and fill, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Where, give us the energy and the strength and the, the power to live the fresh new life that you want for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray. Some have grown cold in their faith. Come and fill us, Lord, we pray. Be continually full of the Spirit. Come and fill us, we ask, in this area. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you will fill every circumstance and flood every area. Father God, I ask that there's no sense of condemnation over anyone's life this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and encourage, that you would lift up the fallen. You say you won't allow those to be bruised and broken. Lift up the head of anyone that would be hurting right now this morning, where people are looking for answers, a way ahead, the answer to the relationship, whether it's with the children, with the husband and wife, whatever it might be this morning. Father God, would you answer and come to every call? where people are calling upon you right now, Lord Jesus, would you come and fill every heart and every every need, every request in this area of relationship right now? Through the power of your spirit, we pray. And in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks.